This morning our scripture reading is from Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 7, page 1126 in your pew Bibles. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east, and I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed, and whom I made. This is the word of the Lord. There is something potent about this text. And it is good and right to get choked up over it. There is stuff going on behind the words we hear here that are, are really, really laden with emotion. And we live in a culture, and some of us were brought up in a culture where you don't show emotion, but the emotion is, is flooding the background of this text. God's people are far from home. They desperately, desperately want to come home. But they're afraid that, that even if they do come home, they're going to mess things up again and, and be dragged off into exile once more. And once again, they'll be separated from God. 
this passage invites them into a, a, a place of rejoicing, of, of celebrating God's goodness and, and of delighting. And if you read the last few chapters before this, there's all sorts of language of God offering his comfort and his peace and assuring his people again and again that he will be with them. But it's good news that's it's almost too hard to believe. In fact, it's, it's difficult for the people to rejoice, to, to celebrate because of what they're hearing. Here's the language that people were using at that time. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? God's people were homesick. Their, their sense of joy had been ripped away from them. Their, their sense of peace and security, their, their very sense of identity had been upended and torn apart and, and they were left empty. How can we sing for joy while in a foreign land? How many of us grew up in a place other than Hamilton? Many of us were born in a country other than Canada. Yeah. Some of us know that sense of being in a foreign land. That sense of longing to go home and wondering if you can ever go home. Wondering if, if you even go back, if it'll be the same as it was when you left or if it will be so different that you won't recognize it. People of God were in a foreign land, in a place that, that didn't feel familiar. In fact, it felt threatening. And more of what they felt was God's absence than his presence. How can we sing when in a foreign land? We may not be in this Advent season we may not be able to bubble over with joy. We live in a culture that tells us to celebrate and be happy. Just be happy. We live in an environment where even when we come here, we sing songs of joy and we sing songs that are meant to lift us up and, and sometimes we come into this place. Well, quite frankly, sometimes we don't even want to come into this place because we know it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to, to sing. It's going to be hard to keep that smile on our face just long enough to make it out the building and back to our car. And when we get there, the tears start coming. We know, we know it's hard to be joyful when our hearts are heavy. When we're grieving the loss of loved ones. When we're experiencing an instability in our emotions and in our mental health, when we 
we're angry with God because things have not gone the way we anticipated they would. We carry grief with us. Many churches, because they're, they're recognizing this weight, have begun to do blue Christmas services. Services that are mostly silence during the middle of the Christmas season that offer places for people to, to pray prayers of lament because the reality is we are not always joyful and it is not always easy to be joyful or even to receive the promise of joy. We carry brokenness with us. There's hope in this passage. There's even, even peace given in this passage and would say there's even the possibility of joy returning in this passage. I'm going to read a couple verses out of it, and it'll be out of order. We're not going to walk through the passage in order, but, but there's three spaces where God says something that's, that's meant to get through the brokenness and, and, and through the pain that the people are experiencing. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. It's in verse 1. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. It's already done. The reason the people of Israel were scattered into other nations was because they had turned their back on God. Now that's not to say every time we're experiencing something wrong in our life or something broken in our life that it's because we've done something wrong. There's not a causality tied here. But in this case, with the people of Israel, they had actually turned their back on God for generations and God said, I need to remove you from the promised land and from that tangible experience of my presence so you can see that you need me and you can experience the life that you say you want without me. And they went to a foreign land. But here, here God's saying to them, do not fear for I have redeemed you. In other words, all, all those sins that you have accumulated that have separated from you from me, that have left you homeless in relationship to me, I have taken care of them. They are done with. You can come home again. And this is really important because the people of Israel have realized that there was nothing they could do to get themselves back to God. They had sinned and sinned and sinned and the layers had accumulated and they recognized that on their own they could not make themselves right with God. They could not cover over their offenses. And so the fear that sits with them as they're in captivity, even if we get back to the promised land, even if, if God somehow restores us, we're going to mess up again. We've proven it for generations. And we'll find ourselves removed from God's presence again. And there's a, a, a defeatedness, a learned helplessness that's settled into them. And God's saying, do not fear. Apart from anything that you have done, I have redeemed you. I've grabbed you and brought you back. And why? Why has God done this? In verse 4, 
since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. You know, I hear quite often people tell me that, that they can't believe Scripture and they, they can't believe God is a loving God because the Old Testament is full of God's wrath. And God is just an angry God waiting to destroy us, waiting for us to mess up. Here in the middle of the Old Testament, God speaks with tenderness. Why have I redeemed you? Why have I stepped into the place where you can't help yourself? Why have I come alongside you in your deepest moment of despair? Because I love you. Anybody long for somebody else to say that to them? Somebody just to come up and say to them, I love you. I mean, those are are some of the most potent words in our English language. They're actually potent words in many languages, but that, that idea of I love you. You are loved, you are desired, you are treasured, you are wanted, you are valued. And here God is saying to his people who are at their lowest point of despair, who, who are lost and in, exi- in exile and far away from God. And God's saying to them, I am redeeming you and restoring you because I love you. I ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to speak on behalf of God to somebody around you. Look to the person next to you. And if, you're, if you see someone sitting by themselves, it's okay to get up and move. We're going to take a moment to do this because this is really important. We need to hear that God loves us. And so I want you to look at somebody else and say to them clearly, God loves you. God loves you. Get up and sit, move around, say it if you need to, but say it to somebody else. God loves you. If there is any gift that we can give somebody else this season, it's not something we're going to put under the tree. It is those simple words. Because they speak an underlying truth and reality that is capable of entering into the deepest moments of our despair and our brokenness. It enters into those places where we feel the emptiness the most. And it is this, it is God's words, I love you. God knows the story. He knows how far we have drifted away from him. He knows where we have sinned blatantly and intentionally, where we have gone out of our way to disobey God. He knows the shame and guilt we carry because what we have done to others and what has been done to us. God knows. He knows us completely. And knowing us completely, he still says, I love you. He goes one step further in this passage. Verse 5. 
Do not be afraid. Notice the repetition. We are a fearful people, especially when we're broken and vulnerable. And twice in this passage, he's saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Come home. That's what God the Father is saying to us. In this Advent season, he's saying to us, come home. There's a place for you here. There's room for you here. And even more than that, he's saying, I'm coming to get you. He sent Jesus Christ to dwell with us, to live among us, to, to take on our sorrows and grief and brokenness, our fears and doubts, to enter into the midst of them with us, to make his home with us. So that in turn, he could take us home with him. And Jesus' whole mission is to reconcile us with God the Father, to make it so that, that the brokenness and emptiness and separation we've experienced from God, that, that sense of pervasive loneliness, that, that sense of pain and sorrow, that all of that would be no more. And that a day would come when we can dwell with God and God with us. And we would see God face to face. And in the midst of that experience, our sorrow and our tears and even dying itself would be no more. We would live with God and God with us. God from the beginning has been a homemaking God. He fashioned an earth and, and invited us into it. He created us and gave his, us his breath and, and even walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. There was communion and, and wholeness and, and community together. And ever since we broke that home and we shattered the peace and the joy and the flourishing life of that home, ever since we ushered death in, God has had a one-track mind to bring us home again, to make his dwelling and our dwelling one in the same. We would live with God and God with us. And he was willing, was willing to give his son to send his son in order to make all of us into his children, that all of us might be brought home with him. No matter how far you have wandered away from God, no matter how distant you feel God is from you, the good news of this season is that God has come to get us. He has sent his son Jesus Christ to come find us, to come be with us come heal us, to come make us whole, to come bring us home with him. Jesus, as he was getting ready to leave his disciples the, the night he was betrayed, he's speaking with his disciples and, and he shares these words to him. Do not let your heart be troubled. Notice that. Do not be afraid again. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Advent, this season that we are in, is, is about remembering that God sent his son Jesus Christ to dwell with us. And, and we look back and we remember that Christmas day. But it is also a looking forward it is an anticipation of that day when, when Jesus Christ returns and he makes all things new, including us and including wrapping us into his home, bringing us home with him. In a moment, we're going to taste the bread and the cup. And it's just a taste it's kind of like a, that first smell of the home-cooked meal when you go home at the holidays. And you smell it filling the house and you go, oh, it's good to be home. It's that type of taste. It's that first taste meant to, meant to trigger us and, and, and draw us into that space where we anticipate that coming meal and that celebration where we sit as God's family gathered around a common table and we celebrate and we overflow with joy because the sorrow and the brokenness are no more. And the fullness of life, of being with God in God's presence, it's there. It's all around us. It's our faith becoming sight. So I invite you this morning to taste the bread that's inviting us home to taste the cup of the assurance that one day we will be flooded with that peace of God to the point that we overflow with joy. And even now, even now, even in the midst of our grief and sorrow, that we can taste this coming meal, this coming home. As we taste that, we can be assured that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's pray. We need you, Lord. Oh, how we need you. Every hour, we need you. We thank you for those moments where joy fills us to overflowing and we are so aware of your presence and of your love, and where life is good and right, and we experience your coming kingdom now. But we recognize as well, and we lay before you this morning that much of our life has brokenness in it, that we are marked by sorrow and grief, and we, we long for that day where we can truly be joy-filled to the point of overflowing. We ask that you encourage us today. That you nourish us with your body and with your blood and that in doing so, you renew within us the hope of the coming salvation. The assurance of the peace that comes only from you. And even with the joy that allows us to endure the temptations and the trials that we face here and now. 
pray this because you are good and gracious and because you love us. Amen.